Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also interact with the two of us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. We've got a jam-packed show. We're going to preview two more schools' prospects. Iowa and Texas A&M are on the plate today. Also, Paul is going to have his one breakdown from a scouting perspective, so we look forward to that as we are taking requests from you through social media. If there's a specific player that you want us to break down and discuss, continue to send that in to us via social media. So a lot to tackle, and we will squeeze in as many phone calls as humanly possible in between our interviews, so feel free to check in at 201-939-4513. So Texas A&M is a school we're going to get to later. A great deal of prospects on the horizon there, specifically from a defensive standpoint. And then Iowa, which is the team we're going to start with, you know, you think of offensive linemen, but tight ends is actually the position, Paul, (laughs) that you have to take into consideration when you look at this school because the Hawkeyes have two of the finest prospects at that spot. Well, you know what's funny about it? Because when we were at the Combine and everybody was talking about, well, which one of these guys is going to go first, it really comes down to, do you prefer the guy who's going to be more of the pass receiver or the guy who's the more all-around of the players? Uh, there's no question. Both of them have first-round talent. So I don't know who will go first. It really depends on who has the preference for which guy and where are they picking in the order of the draft. It doesn't necessarily mean one guy's better than the other. Well, and then you also need to take into consideration how those teams are going to utilize those players within the scheme. I think that's extremely influential, too, The skill set has to fit the scheme. 100%. So you may look at a tight end who is more of an all-around tight end, and you may have them graded higher, but the team is saying to themselves, we're not going to use him as a blocker. We want him to come in and run routes like a wide receiver, so that's why they would value that tight end differently. So all of those things you need to keep in the back of your mind when evaluating draft prospects. And speaking of that subject, to focus more in on the Iowa Hawkeyes prospects that are getting set to hear their names called in the upcoming 2019 NFL Draft, which is coming up later this month, we are now joined by Rob Howe. He's the lead writer for HawkeyeNation.com. Rob, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for joining us. And why don't we just kick it off with, with Hawkinson and, and Font, the two, or Fant, the two tight ends uh, who are going to be drafted in the first round. We just got t- telling our, our viewers and our listeners Rob, that, uh, you know, it's a matter of do you like apples or do you like oranges better? Because both of these guys bring a lot to the table. It's just a matter of which guy fits better into your particular scheme. So what what's your take on these two fellas, and, and do you have a preference? It's interesting. It's, you know, we talked to Noah after Pro Day, which was a couple weeks ago now, and he said pretty much what you just said. He's like, it depends on what flavor you like here. And I agree. I think both guys are going to be really good NFL players. Um, TJ is more of an inline tight end. Um, he's a guy that's, you know, I think more well-rounded at this point. Mm-hmm. But Fant is a uh, he's a physical freak. I mean, he kind of, at least from NFL from an NFL perspective, he came onto the radar last year at his pro day. He wasn't eligible. 
but I think he delivered like a 42 or 43-inch vertical leap. I mean, just some crazy testing numbers. And then he followed that up with just an incredible combine. I think DJ helped himself as well at the combine. Uh, but like you guys say, it's, it's kind of what are you looking for? What fits your offense? What fits your scheme? Obviously, I covered them both um, for, since they were being recruited out of high school through their careers in Iowa. And uh, hardworking guys, I, I think they're – I think the ceiling's high. I don't think they've come close to reaching their potential yet. From an intangibles perspective, uh, we've already discussed how the X's and O's will be tailored to that guy's specific talents. But off the field, in terms of personality, leadership skills, work ethic, those kinds of things, are there, is there anything you could do to separate these two guys, or are they the same when you get them away from yeah. the gridiron? You know, it's a great question. Um, we only get to see behind the curtain so much. Obviously, college football coaches, Kirk Ferentz in particular, the dean of uh, FBS coaches, is a guy who kind of tries to keep things under wraps as much as possible. I think the questions for Fant this offseason were what went on. His brother um, took to social media this season, complained that his, his brother Noah wasn't seeing enough passes. Um, and that kind of put a cloud, I think, around Fant a little bit. But I would caution people to read too much into that. Uh, the times we had Noah, like I said, I've known the kid since he was in high school, junior in high school. He's a really good kid. He's a really hard worker. And I wouldn't put what his family put out there as a knock on him. I think both of these guys are really hard workers. They, they're bent on getting better. Um, TJ has been quieter. He hasn't been in the spotlight as long. Uh, but I think you get good players, good locker room guys with either guy. You mentioned, obviously, they have different styles. But I think no matter what your style is, Rob, at the next level, eventually you're going to be called upon to do some aspect of blocking, especially when you're playing the tight end position. Who do you feel has the most upside with respect to developing, even if they haven't honed that craft yet, into a solid blocker on the NFL level. Yeah, no, no fan has more room to, to grow in that area. Um, he's more of the the you know the, the receiver type of tight end, and mm-hmm. I think TJ's more accomplished. But Noah's put a lot of good film out there blocking wise. It's just not as consistent at this point. Um, I think he has more room to grow in that area. Um, but TJ is certainly the more established guy and, and more well-rounded tight end. Uh, but that's really the question, and, you know, Noah's only – this is he was he's a third-year junior, so and he's young for his grade, too. I think he's 21, maybe. So he gets into the right system with the right tight end coach that can, you know, fill out that blocking and, and teach him in that area. I think he's got a high ceiling because I think he's willing to do it. See, it won't surprise you, Lance. I, I'm, I'm a TJ guy because he's more an old-school tight end. Of course. And, and so that, that, that's where I'm going, Rob. Uh, l- let me flip it, if I can, to defense because Anthony Nelson's a very intriguing prospect for me. I don't know if he's going to be a 4-3 defensive end or maybe even slide inside and play some 4-3 defensive tackle in a sub-package in the National Football League. He certainly has some very good skills. When I looked at him on tape, I I said I like his frame, I like his strength, his get-off at the snap, and his motor. But but there are certainly some things he's going to have to work on at the NFL level. Yeah, I would agree. And you made some really good points on, on, you know, just in terms from a scouting perspective. Um, he 
got better each year, almost each game at the at the college level. He was pretty raw when he came in, guys. He was more of a basketball player earlier in his high school career. Had some Division One offers as a basketball player. Um, he's six seven. You know that learning how to play with that leverage. He's done that with a guy that that's that is that tall. He's gotten better with that as his career has gone on. And I do think he has that versatility to kick inside in a 4-3 if, if needed. Um, and that's, you know, with, the, with a limited amount of roster space, you know, spots in the NFL, to have a guy that's that versatile that can move inside, play outside, do some different things for you, I think adds to his value. And he's tested well. I think he's really risen uh, and, and improved his, his draft stock this, this offseason. And he's, a, he's an academic all-Big Ten kid. He's a smart kid, so... You get him in the room, he's going to be able to learn concepts, he's going to be able to learn your system and pick things up pretty quickly. From a production standpoint, Rob, because one of the things that I've read in terms of some of the scouts being critical is they feel he wasn't truly tested against elite right tackles during the course of the Big Ten schedule. From what you saw, how did his production fluctuate with respect to the caliber of the opposition that Iowa went up against this season? I thought he handled himself pretty well. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think this was an outstanding year for tackles in the Big Ten. Um, I think Iowa had two of the better tackles, if you ask me, and Alaric Jackson and, and Tristan Wirfs, who will be eligible for the draft as juniors next year and probably will be talking about them at this time of year from now. Um, but Iowa was very committed to using an eight-man rotation. Um, and so he rotated in and out. He was not an every-down guy. Uh, they, they, they rotated four uh, defensive ends. So I thought when he was able to stay in there and get into a rhythm, that's when he was at his best. I felt like sometimes coming in and out of the game, kind of, even though he was fresher, it kind of disrupted his rhythm. So that's, for me, if I'm an NFL team, okay, if this is a situational guy, that's the question I would have. Is he a guy that we can plug in there every now and then and still be productive? Because he had trouble with that at times uh, on the college level. There's another guy on defense who intrigues me, and we're, we're talking about the secondary now. That's safety, Imani Hooker. And, and Rob, I, I have to tell you, the way I looked at him, I think he could probably take a shot not only at free safety, but also at strong safety in the NFL. And, and that versatility, to me, makes him an attractive prospect. Yes, I would agree. He's one of, the, he's one of my favorite guys just in terms of watching him play the last few years because – no matter where you put him, and this, I don't know if you guys know the history, Iowa had some linebacker. They had youth at linebacker last year, and then they had injuries hit the position as well as the guys that, on the, you know, with the guys who were experienced. After the Wisconsin game, which was game four, they had a bye week, and they moved the money down into the box mm-hmm. and went to a 4-2-5 and basically used him almost as a leal outside linebacker. Um, and, he, and he was able to play between – he's played both safety positions in college and also played linebacker. Just a, a, an incredibly versatile kid, very good in coverage. That's his strength, but also really good in run support. So, again, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what type of – what team drafts him and what, how, they, how he fits into a given scheme. But I think he has that versatility to play in a number of different schemes depending on how you want to use him. He's got – and he's – and he would definitely help on special teams, too. He's a very, very athletic kid who, who Iowa was his only Division I offer coming out of high school. What's interesting to me, and I wrote down one of these notations, is that I wonder if, if his skill set, and I, and I think it is, 
but we'd have to see once he got to an NFL training camp and in preseason games. I wouldn't be surprised if he drew some slot duty. I think he's got the cover skills that might just translate to the next level. I would agree, and I think I don't think he's the same as Desmond King, who I think was undervalued coming out of Iowa a few years ago, went to the Chargers, and is now a pro bowler. Yeah, but he was kind of he was more of a tweener too. Do we put him at corner? Is he a slot guy? And he's worked out well in the slot. I think that's something that Amani can do. I think you know in the right system you can put him in there and he'll be effective he's that good in coverage we're talking with rob Howe, lead writer for hawkeye and the reason why i think amani's an intriguing prospect to paul's point rob at least from the giants perspective james betcher their defensive coordinator has taken advantage of hybrid type of players who he's converted from safety to linebacker or vice versa but whenever you talk about a hybrid player rob discipline is so key because sometimes these guys just rely on their athleticism and think that they can cover sideline to sideline back and forth that it really makes no difference from your observation from a discipline standpoint no matter what they've asked him to do within the framework of the defense how much has discipline been an issue or has it not been at all I think he's been very good in that regard Um, he's a very good athlete and I also think he's a student of the game uh, for the for people that aren't aware, Phil Parker, who's the Iowa's defensive coordinator, defensive back coach, look around the rosters in the NFL. He's put a lot of guys in the league. Um, you know, we talked about Desmond King, Micah Hyde, Josh Jackson. There are he's very good at teaching these guys discipline, eye discipline, where to be on the field. And Amani's very good. Like we talked about, this is a guy who was at free safety as you know as a sophomore. They moved the strong safety for the first four games last year. During the bye week, they moved him down into what you know, it's a star position, cast position. It's that hybrid position. In one week's time, he took to that position and ran with it. They didn't move him out of as they were so happy with how that that switch went, they left him there for the rest of the season. And that kind of speaks to his preparation, his his knowledge of the game and his ability to, to play different spots and pick things up quick. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When when he gets to an NFL camp, he'll do great on special teams from the get-go. That's a lock, I'm sure of it, because the kid loves to play. You can see it. And then wherever it is that they teach him to, uh, to, to wind up fitting into the scheme, he's going to get onto the field as a rookie. I, I mean, in, in a defensive sub-package, if he's not competing as a starter. It depends on what team that takes him. But but I, I, think, I think he's going to be one of those guys – who is undervalued and is going to wind up surprising people when they get to opening day. That's just my opinion, Rob. I would agree, guys, and I'm interested to see who takes the chance on him. You know, we you know with these mock drafts and people talking about where these guys are going to go, you just never know what the player personnel people are. But I've heard second round, I've heard third, fourth. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen to bring up Desmond King again. He was talked about in that second or third round area, and he slipped to the fifth round. Chargers nailed him and got a great steal. Sure, um, yeah. I think that that kind of speaks to to Hooker. Is somebody going to let him slide again and make that mistake, or is somebody going to step up and grab him earlier, somewhere in the second, third round? 
Well, and you bring up a great point because not only is Desmond King tremendous value, but he filled a huge need for the Chargers because they lost Jason Verrett, one of their top corners, over the last few seasons. So there's always that player that falls, and it's a matter of whether or not a team is going to take advantage, and King certainly fits that bill. He is Rob Howe, lead writer for HawkeyeNation.com. Rob, as you mentioned, we look forward to talking to you next year about the offensive linemen that they're grooming in the Midwest right now. (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. Rob Howe, once again, kind enough to break down the Iowa class, most notably the tight ends. And remember, George Kittle came out of Iowa, for those of you who like to look at some former players that have thrived. Do, do, do you want to go back to my book last year well, and all I'm the nice things I wrote about him and how he was one of the guys I targeted well, for the Giants in the middle rounds? Well, it worked out very You don't nicely. have to tell me about George Kittle. I'm just reminding okay? the audience. Pro you don't have to tell me about George Kittle. In 2018. I like George Kittle a lot. I think Kyle Shanahan likes him a lot uh, yeah, too the last time yeah. I Yeah, So many guys around the league, these coaches, these personnel directors, they love the guys that I like. Well... Great minds think alike, as you would say. I'm surprised you didn't steal that line from me. I want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. So a little bit later on, we're going to focus on Texas A&M. But in the meantime, we want to open up the phone lines and hear from you at 201-939-4513. Dan is in Piscataway. Dan, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, how are you guys? Doing very hey, well. Hey, Lance and hey, Paul. You do a great show. I've well, been thanks for uh, listening Appreciate for a that. while or watching for a while. Great. Uh, whatever the case may be. Um, Will Greer. Yes. I love him. Have they had him in for a visit? Is he on the radar? Uh, and where do you guys think he's going to go? Well, uh, visits are, are, quote, unofficial. They are not announced by the team. If the agent or the player wants to say that he was in for a visit with a team, he's certainly welcome to do that. But teams do not announce visits, so we're not in a position where we are allowed to confirm or deny if anybody was in the building. Uh, As far as Greer goes, uh, I did do work. uh, I know we've had a lot of talk about quarterbacks on this show. I did do a workup on eight quarterbacks. He was one of them. Uh, I did like his quick game. I thought he showed a lot of poise and he had escapability. I did have questions about his mechanics, his decision-making, uh, his frame, quite frankly. I did not think his arm strength was, was overwhelming. Deep ball. And his deep accuracy, I thought, needed, uh, needed some work. Quite frankly, he would not be a guy that I would draft. Uh, I do think you know he's got backup potential in this league, but, but I don't see him being a long-term starter. I, to add to that, Dan, I agree with pretty much everything that Paul laid out. I think the deep ball is a concern. And that is obviously something you need to think about, especially if you're going to come into an area where there's winds and all cold weather that is going to impact your throwing mechanics and so forth. But I would take a flyer on Greer if he fell in the draft, Paul. I wouldn't use a first-round pick, but if Greer's still around and you think you can bring him in, develop him, I think he's worth that type of investment. It's just a matter of, you know, is a team going to be ultra-aggressive in the first round and grabbing him. Well, see, I think if you're drafting a guy who who is a potential NFL backup, you're not talking about him until the third day. Well, I don't think you necessarily have to look at him as a backup. I, I do. Myself, well, no, I meaning do. Meaning if you take a quarterback in the second or third no, round. No, no, I would not touch him in the, in the first three rounds. That's I, what I'm trying to tell you. I, I don't, in other words, I don't think he's, he's a legit starting prospect in the league long term. That's just my opinion. I, I, I don't think he's getting a lot of heat 
from people in in the first two uh, rounds. If anything, I think he's fallen under the radar, to be honest with you. I don't think anybody's really talking about him because think about it. After Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray, the conversation then really turns to Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. You don't really hear much about Will Greer. Now, Will Greer was in the Senior Bowl, and he certainly got enough publicity there. But even after the Senior Bowl, and, you know, the results were mixed in terms of the game performance, which is not the only element you take into consideration there. But he didn't necessarily all of a sudden skyrocket following the Senior Bowl. D- Dan, I'm, I'm going to give you a sleeper pick, okay? I, I told you I graded eight quarterbacks tapes. Oh, because, again, I'm not going headstrong into quarterbacks. I don't think the Giants are really hot for one, especially high. Jared Stenham of Auburn is my sleeper pick at quarterback. Go back and look at his 2017 tape as opposed to his 2018 tape. There were a lot of things that hurt his play in 2018, specifically a really porous offensive line, which forced him into a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of bad habits. If you look at Stidham's 2017 tape, there's a lot of really, really good things to see there including his poise, his mobility, his mechanics, his accuracy. If you're looking for a steal or a sleeper in the quarterback bunch, Jared Stinham would be the guy that I would look at. All right, I'll take a look. And another, Clellan Farrell, where do you think he's going to go? Could we get him at 17, or is he not going to last that long? And I'll take it off the air. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the phone call, Dan. Thanks so much. I think it's possible Clean and Farrell could be in the conversation at 17. I don't think that's a stretch at all. I'd be shocked if he falls that far. I mean, I I, think I've seen a lot the... of mock drafts, and he's been all over the place. There really hasn't been a consensus agreement as to where he's going to go. I would consider him at six. I've made that very clear to well, people. Well, and I don't think it's crazy to take him at six, but I don't think – Everybody who has evaluated the prospects thinks that Farrell is necessarily a lock to go in the top 10. I think he could easily be selected outside of the top 10. It does seem to me that for most of the the folks that I've surveyed, they think he's a top 15. There are some who do think he's a top 10, and there are a few others who think he could be as high as the Giants at 6. Top 10 seems to be, honestly where most of the people who I talk to say, but I have seen top 15. Uh, 17 just seems to me way too far for him. I'll tell you what, if somebody gets him that low, and my goodness, if he should be there at 17 for the Giants, I would run up to that podium so quick, you could not even see the bolt of lightning. That's how fast I would grab him at 17. Well, remember, there's a lot of depth at that position. So depending on if teams move up, trade, they go after other positions, that's why I don't think it's crazy to see maybe some of these pass rushers fall. So you know what You know what hurts him? There are other guys who are more dynamic, highlight player pass rushers coming off of the edge. Farrell is just a really good, solid, sound pass rusher who also does a really good job of holding the edge against the run. Okay? He is a two-way defensive end. His style, his category, I'm not going to say him physically or, or, or his actual talent level, but he's in the style of Justin Tuck. Okay? That's the kind of player he is. He's a really good pass rusher who also is very strong and is very aggressive and holds the edge and will play the run as well. Okay, as opposed to maybe somebody like Osa Yumanura, who's more of a highlight pass rusher and less of a hold the edge guy. More flashes you get from that. Okay, kind of guy. you yeah. won't get as many uh, uh, tuck, you know, sports center highlights as you will from Yumanura, but it depends on what it is you're looking for. 
To me, Clellan Farrell would be a dynamite. If the Giants were a 4-3 scheme, it'd be a no-brainer for me. I would be I would be sprinting to the podium for him at number six. I actually love Cleland Farrell's game because he plays the run and the pass with a motor, with power, with technique. He does everything you want in a winning ball player who's going to help you in both facets of the game. My issue is Betcher plays the 3-4 with the multiple fronts. He wants to disguise a lot of stuff, and he's really hot to have that guy off the edge who's going to be a dynamic pass rusher. I would love to pick Farrell if if I were at six making the selection. I suspect Montez Sweat is a better fit for what Betcher does in his scheme. Stand-up guy, more speed and quickness, athleticism, more of a pure dynamic get-to-the-quarterback guy off of the edge which is why I suspect I would put my money down on Sweat being their pick instead of Farrell if they're given the chance. Myself, because I'm a standard 4-3 guy, to be honest with you, and I like the two-way player, I would pick Farrell if I had the chance to pick him. But again, my coaches would then say to me, well, the other guy fits my scheme better. What are you, what are you doing? So that's where my dilemma is. I, I think both of those guys deserve... Uh, consideration in that spot. Well, and when you think of a better pass rusher, to me, at least a recent example is Chandler Jones, who also went from New England to Arizona, and there were questions about him moving around. Has that going to affect him? And he thrived. So, you know, that's the type of player that I think Betcher would be extremely attracted to. Sweat is a Jason Taylor type of player. Feral, lengthy type of guy. Farrell's a Justin Tuck type of player. It's a very fair parallel. So, so you know, what is again, apples and oranges. Which type of fruit do you need for what it is that you're doing? To be effective within the system. That's what makes it such a dilemma for me because I really, really, really dig Cleveland Fellows game big time. But we'll see. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jose is in Orlando. Jose, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's on your mind? Hey, fellas. How you guys doing today? Hi. Doing right, Jose. Yeah, we hear you loud and clear. What do you got for us? All right. Love the show. Um, just one quick observation. You know who I haven't seen in a while? I love you guys, but I haven't seen Saul in a while. Is he still with Big Blue Kickoff Live? Yeah, he just doesn't do the show in the offseason. All right. I got you. So, Lance and Paulie, I have a, a, a quick scenario, and I know we got a lot of callers up. I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Uh, Paulie, I do love the scenario, the analogy that you gave as far as Colin Farrell because – He's one of my favorites as well. Yeah. But uh, and I agree with Lance though. They are. I've seen some mocks that he's dropping down to 17. I'll tell you what. My dream draft because I'm not one of these guys that's hollering quarterback. My dream draft would be Devin White at six and Clellan Farrell at 17. That's my ultimate. I'll be just jumping doing cartwheels all over my house. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I'd be thrilled but, uh, with Farrell at 17 because that would be <laughs> a a highway robbery and a heist for the ages. But but yeah. I'm not with you. I'm not with you uh, on the LSU linebacker at six. I think that would be a terrible overdrafting mistake. Well, I mean, and you know what? That's great. But I'll tell you the one thing I like about Devin White is, and you go back and you see the film. Not only that, but he's a culture changer type of guy. He's a leader. I see him like he's very boisterous, and and he makes players around him better. Kind of like in the Carl, kind of like in the Ray Lewis mold. I'm not saying he's Ray Lewis. I'm just saying he has those leadership skills that ability and that's something that we we crave as Giants fans from a linebacker we haven't had that 
in in God knows how long. He's but a tr- anyway. Yeah, he's a tremendous athlete, and he does make a lot of splash plays. But there are two things that I want you to watch when you go back and look at some of the highlights, if you can get a hold of some of them on YouTube. I want you to look for missed tackles, which in the NFL will absolutely drive coaches batty. And he does right. have a lot of missed tackles, and that's just not cool. Uh, and then the second thing is, what about when you're when you're middle linebacker who you want him to be on the field for three downs? Well, I, I, I worry about his coverage skills. We talked to Brian Broadus, the former NFL scout who has a Super Bowl ring. He does a lot of shows with the Dallas Cowboys, and he's an LSU mm-hmm. grad. So he knows a ton about him. And he, he alerted John and I when we were at the Combine, and we talked to him about him. And, and mm-hmm. you know, neither one of us, you know, really thought much about the coverage aspect of it. And he goes, well, wait a second, fellas. Go back and look at the archive of our Combine shows. Broadus said flat out, don't even think about asking him to cover. He's a two-down linebacker. Well, I can't take a two-down linebacker at six. There's not enough value in that. Well, and Jose, listen, okay. we're going to let you go on that note because we're up against oh, the wall here oh, with respect man, to a guest. Yeah, Jose, listen. Like, well, l- Jose, we'll, we'll, we'll let you get in on a future show. We got a, we got a guest lined up. Hit us up on Twitter. You know, real in. quick, Paulie. Go real ahead. Quick, Paulie, he's a he's a four five guy. I understand. Two pointer. Yeah, but he's got to he's got to be able guy. to he's got to turn and twist and get back in coverage if you're going to be a three down guy. And and the missing tackles that technique. You can work on that. I All right. Well, here, I here's the that. other thing. Take care. We'll talk soon. I got some more stuff. All right. All you right. got it, Jose. The other tomorrow. thing is the Giants haven't drafted a, a linebacker in the first round since 1984. That's number one. Okay. And I'll continue to remind the audience about that until that happens. Okay. For those of you trying to sell us on a linebacker. Number two, Dave Gettleman took two linebackers during his tenure as Panthers GM. He did not draft Luke Keekley. He came in the year following. He took Shaq Thompson. But that was a late first-round pick, 25th overall. And Thompson's really a versatile, in-between hybrid guy. And then he wound up taking A.J. Klein in the fifth round in 13. So, once again, perspective is important, I think, when you evaluate that. Speaking of perspective, to provide okay. more now on Here we go. Texas A&M's prospects as we continue to move forward with teams entering the NFL draft. We're now joined by Andrew Monaco, play-by-play voice for the Texas A&M Aggies. Andrew, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here with you on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? It is doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk with you guys. Thank you so much, Andrew. You know, if this was a couple years ago, we'd be asking you about Johnny Manziel. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that's not the case. That's not the case. This is uh, this is 2019. And uh, being the play-by-play voice down there at Texas A&M, we know that you have certainly monitored all of these uh, prospects over the course of the last season. Let's just go right to the top and, and talk about Eric McCoy because he is a very, very strong center. And obviously, if you're going to play in that program, you better be physical and tough and powerful. And I think a lot of folks are going to be real happy when they see him in the league. Yeah, and uh, he's very he's very smart. That's That was the big thing that jumped out with Jimbo Fisher was how bright Eric McCoy was. And Eric... You know, these are all guys that that came in under Kevin Sumlin and all bought into Jimbo Fisher. And it was a complete change of style going from that spread to the pro style uh, that Jimbo Fisher uh, brought to this team last year. The other change for Eric McCoy is he never had anybody under center until last year. Everything was always out of the shotgun uh, for, for Eric. Adapted beautifully. Smartest guy on the offensive line he was that leader if you will uh for that for that offensive line dependable 
Um, as I told you, Bright, he, he picks up everything. Um, and, I, you know, without him, I don't know if Kellen Mond, as quarterback, uh, develops the way he does. Eric has told us on Pro Day that he has been talking to teams about playing center, but he can also play guard. So there's that versatility. Mm. Uh, do, do know that he had a good senior bowl um, as well, but he, he's just really bright. And, and, and I, I expect Eric McCoy uh, to go rather quickly. He's hearing somewhere in the, in the second round. That would be outstanding. I think some team's going to be very fortunate to get him. Well, I think that's appealing that you brought up the fact that he could play guard as well because that's going to make him even more attractive to prospective NFL teams. From an evaluation standpoint, Andrew, and you know, when you're in the SEC, you're usually going up against top caliber competition every single week. So it's not so much that he hasn't been tested, but how do you think he held up when he was tested week to week with respect to run blocking and the pass rush overall? What I, what I found interesting with this entire offensive line and, and with McCoy being the leader is, you know, the second week A&M plays Clemson. In the fourth week, it's Alabama. Then you've got to take on Mississippi State's front line. Jimbo Fisher always says, look, it's the guys who put their hands in the dirt. Um, there were not many shots on Kellen Mond. He got, he, he got hit some, but not an awful lot. This, this offensive line really takes pride in, in protecting. And, look, we know in, in Texas A&M some great offensive linemen have, have come in. And under Jim Turner, uh, who was the offensive line coach last year, now with, with Cincinnati. Uh, there was a lot of pride in that. You did not see McCoy getting beat <laughs> very often. Uh, and, and this line, it, the reason why I said that is everybody always talked about the defensive lines or the front sevens that, that, that the A&M offensive line was going up against. And there was this point of pride like, you know what, watch us. Uh, we're, we're, we're pretty good ourselves. And they, and they kind of took it upon themselves. So it was a reason why Travion Williams was the leading rusher in the SEC. I, this offensive line loved him. Said we really didn't need a lot of daylight for Travion. And Travion had so much respect for these guys. Uh, but with, with Eric McCoy, uh, you did not see that, that rush up the middle and, and forcing Kellen to, to roll out because he didn't have the, have the time. He did very well. I hear his hands. We're really, that was the one thing that I kept reading out of, the, out of the senior ball, his hands, and there was a little bit of an explosiveness as well. Uh, I, I found it interesting that it was A&M playing NC State. The two centers for those two schools in, yeah. in the Gator Bowl are probably going to go one and two. That's a great point. Bradbury Brad from NC State. Pick mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's stick in the trenches here because we know that uh, Dave Gettleman loves his hog mollies. There's a guy who I did some film work on, Dalen Mack. I think he's a 3-4 nose tackle, only a two-down player because I see him being very powerful. He can anchor, very good against the run, space eater. I think he can take on double teams. I don't see much of a pass rush or a push on him, so I think he's a first and second down player. But my goodness, uh, if you're looking for a run stuffer in the middle of a 3-4, I think Dalen Mack is going to make an NFL team very happy. Roy, I, I, everybody is really proud of Dalen for the senior year that he had. He came out of high school very highly thought of had an okay freshman year but not an okay sophomore or junior year and comes back now there were some personal when i say personal things his parents were being divorced and he and that became personal but he knew with jimbo and this defensive line with kingsley tiki with landis durham with justin matabike who's going to stay and be a junior for a and m dalen had his best season at a and m and he was he was absolutely terrific the strength of dalen i'm telling you he's uh, is the best way to describe him wide, but he is not slow. <laughs> he, you know, but but you're you're right. He he takes up that space, 
And I'm telling you, the, the times that I watched him, you had to be concerned about, about Dalen. And there was a reason. I thought that defensive line really grew last year. And I think he was a very big reason. It's probably the most unsexy position in football is that are, are those defensive tackles, those interior on the defensive line. But I think they mean the world to any kind of success for a defense. And I think, I think Dalen was terrific. Uh, last year, and he was an integral part for for this defense. And as you guys were saying, you have to be able to play that in the SEC. And I thought Dalen Mack, it was his best season at A&M. Well, you're right. They're space eaters. I think you bring up an excellent point, Andrew, as it's very difficult to evaluate the guys who don't necessarily jump out to you from a box score perspective. You brought up Kingsley Kiki, and that's where I want to go, a fellow defensive lineman for Texas A&M, somebody who really has a knack for getting into the backfield. How much upside do you see out of him as he now makes the transition from college to the pros? Uh, he's intriguing. He dropped 20 pounds uh, in the offseason. Uh, and instead of being just as a tackle, they could put him at the end. Now, uh, A&M had lost Michael Clemens to a, to a foot injury, so he had to go to the outside. I'm, I'm intrigued if he can play both. Uh, what weight he's going to be at for, for if a, if, with, with the team that selects him or the team that he signs with. I wonder if that versatility will do him well because he had played interior and then goes to the outside. But the way he changed his body, lost those 20 pounds but was strong. You know, it's funny, in, in Jimbo Fisher's office one, one time, we're getting a, I'm getting an interview for a Saturday, and he's talking with a former GA when he was at Auburn who's now, with the, now in the NFL. And he was talking about twitch and trigger and all those guys on the defensive line, he was really, he really appreciated the way that defensive line got out. And with, and with Kingsley Kiki, to adapt to the new role, uh, again, I wonder if that versatility of knowing how to play inside and outside will help him on the next level. Let me, let me ask you something, though. What concerned me about him, and, and I, I say projection, I have here written on my, my notes, 4-3 defensive tackle or 3-4 defensive end. Uh, to fit the scheme of, of the pro game. But I also wrote notes down. That they, they had him at 6'3", 288 is what they measured him at, apparently yeah. at the Combine. I wrote down questions about his pursuing skills and also his motor. Apparently, you know, when I looked at the tape, I'm only looking at my notes now, there was some inconsistencies in terms of him getting after it. Did you see that much at all? Uh, that For for that front four, no. I, and and that's, that's a funny thing because – relied so much on that front four but as the season went on they developed uh a&m developed some depth and if you guys know jimbo fisher if you're not going to give it he's going to t you know he's going to take you out and and put someone else in now the youngster like a bobby brown and a and a tyree johnson they also played they were in and out but but kingsley was definitely one of those people that you had to have in there for for a&m now was that adjustment to him going on the outside? Because you guys know that's very different. The two very different positions. Um, and, and it makes me wonder, you know, adjusting to the new weights, uh, do, do you have that speed? Do you have that pursuit? I, I will say that in every big game for A&M that there was a defensive play made there, usually there was a turning point. Kingsley Kiki was making a sack. I'm thinking about the Kentucky game that moved them just far enough away that the field goal attempt in overtime hit the crossbar. Without that sack, Kentucky gets those points. 
Kiki seemed to make a big play at a certain point and it keep, uh, to be a, a turning point. Can he do it every snap, which is what he's going to have to do on the next level? That's what we're going to find out. All right, so let, let me see if I understand correctly. So maybe I'm misinterpreting some of the motor for maybe some uh, lack of intuition because he was trying to learn the different position and maybe didn't have the instinctiveness or the assertiveness of what it was he was being asked to do. Is that maybe a fair, I, fair way I, to claim? I'd be, re- I'd be real interested to see, like, if you were to watch his first game against Northwestern State or, or Clemson and then watch his last game and see if that instinct kicked in. Uh, you know, throughout the fall, okay. one, like I said, work, working with Jerry Schmidt. I, I don't think you're ever going to worry about his motor with okay. Kingsley King. I think he's one of those. He's a, he is a very driven, a very driven person. We're talking with Andrew Monaco, play-by-play voice for Texas A&M on the Aggies Sports Network. Another player on the defensive line, Andrew, and interesting when you look just at the production, Landis Durham, and the reason I bring him up, so Miles Garrett goes to the NFL, and then he winds up leading A&M with 10.5 sacks two years ago, and now you look at his production in 2018, not devastating, but certainly dropped off a tad. What do you make of why Durham wasn't necessarily putting up the numbers he did two years ago. He is a converted line. You, know, you go back, the converted linebacker who goes to that outside. And last year was a, a very good year. I think it's a combination of he had more talent as well. But don't you also get that, I think, early on, a lot of people were keying on Durham because they see those numbers. But, you know, he's he, I, I always looked at it like this. Like, we talk about Mac and we talk about Kingsley shaking his body. And Justin Matabike is the one that Coach Fisher absolutely loves that we kind of – I don't want to say forget about Landis Durham, but when you're so dependable, you don't always get that sizzle. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. I, to me, that was that was Landis Durham, and I and I think about the South Carolina game. He's another one makes a huge stop, forces South Carolina to punt, and then the Aggies keep the ball nearly the entire fourth quarter, and they and they get a road win. I I, I found him to be really dependable all season long. He's he's uh, he's. Very thoughtful. That's the one. That's the one thing I have to say about all these guys. I'm so impressed as student athletes. I think their one-on-one meetings with teams are going to go a long way. One, I think they're respectful. I think they can play, and I think they can also be taught. I think they can learn and, and learn very quickly. I, I just, to me, it's like you saw 46 on the end, and you kind of, you kind of looked at someone else and it's like because you kind of knew that Landis Durham was going to be there every play that's it that's how I take it with with Durham the numbers may have been down a little bit because they may have keyed on him a little bit more but I I really like the way that he that he finished these these seasons and and that's it's going to be tough for A&M to replace guys like this like Jimbo always says you have to you, you have to put it on film these guys put it on film this next crew I think they'll learn from these guys. I think I think they're leaving a solid legacy and a solid foundation after Jimbo's first season. Andrew, last guy I want to ask you about. You mentioned him earlier when we first started the conversation, running back Travion Williams. Uh, a lot of folks think he could be a third down back in the league. We know he's a little bit diminutive at 5'8", but 206 pounds is nothing to sneeze at, so he's got a little bit of beef on his bones. This kid is strong. This kid is driven uh, this is also one of the nicest student athletes I've ever met. I, I love the way that he's represented this university. Uh, the thing about Travion and talking with Jimbo every week is Coach Fisher would mention time and again a block that Travion made that was key for a play. How he picked up 
someone who was blitzing, how he kicked out somebody for this for this run. And then they got the ball in his hands a little bit more because he said, we've got to get the ball in number five's hands more often. So, so catching the ball out of the backfield. Strong, tough. Um, th- this is one determined uh, young man. Wonderful families. It's, it's a, I, I say that plural because uh, he's a, he has an extended family that, that drives him. He's out of that Houston area. Uh, I, I, really, I really like this young man, and I, I hope that, that he does wonders uh, for a team. I think there is a place for him. Um, I, I just love what he did last year. Uh, he took it upon himself. Uh, again, complimentary of that offensive line. The offensive line said he actually makes us look better because he does it, as I said before, he doesn't need a, a big hole. But I, I just think he's going to be someone you ask him and he is going to come through. I think he's one of those guys who's really teachable. I think he's got confidence. I think at times he was he was overlooked by a by a Benny Snell who had a great year for Kentucky. I, this isn't an either or, but I think Travion. I think he gained more and more confidence and was a great leader. And like Christian Kirk the year before, these running backs at A and M learned an awful lot. Travion completes every drill. He hits the hole, runs his sixty yards, and then comes back. This entire running back crew from last fall learned all of that from him i think it's some great habits that he left with these young players andrew last one for me and you brought up williams ability to pick up the blitz and pass protection tight end jay sternberger and coincidentally Mm. we just had an iowa guest on and we were breaking down two (laughs) of their prolific tight ends so we might as well make it a trifecta certainly put up respectable numbers from an offensive standpoint what has jumped out to you though about jace's ability to block and his consistency in that department. Yeah, he got better as the year went on, and Jimbo talked about that, about getting, getting better, because that was important. And, and with the two tight ends that they had in Trevor Wood and Jay Sternberger, and Jace was, was the number one, that was important. That at times, an extension of that offensive line for the, for the Aggies' success. I don't think Jace could have played for a better coach uh, because Jimbo incorporates that tight end. Uh, the hands, who was amazed at times. You know, you saw him in the slot as well, off the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. as a receiver. The blocking is probably the thing that he has to work at the most. But the thing that Jimbo said, and he said this early in the season, he said this is a kid who probably could have played in the 50s. He likes that style. He said, and, and the more I lay on him, the more he wants. Like always constantly learning and learning. Jimbo also said this is the key he was a two-star coming out of high school. He said, sometimes we have to look at the four years of development. They're not always a finished product when they come out. Right. And then by the time Jace is done, you saw him, whether it was an All-America or whatever, whatever list he was going to be on, and really grew because you grow into the size and are you playing with the, with the right coach. A&M was very fortunate what happened at Kansas. Jace also developed a love for the game. He kind of lost that love at Kansas. It was hard, he said, a little bit uh, playing there. But then when he got to A&M, he loved it. But Jimbo just talked about how I could just pile it on. He wanted more and more and more. He thinks he's kind of a throwback. That's why he made that line about the 50s. And I think he was a big, big reason why A&M's offense was so good. Interesting in how you describe him as a throwback. One of the words that I used on my my report on him was effort. And you could definitely see that uh, in his tape. I, I think he's a move tight end right now because he just does not have the power. And at 6'4", 250, he's got the frame to be a much more powerful player. But some of that's going to be learned, and some of that's just going to have to get toughened up by the NFL game. 
I love the word effort for you because at, at you know it's, it's funny we we got so used to him catching everything so when he dropped something we were we were surprised <laughs> but that effort is always there and, yeah, I, and it I'm is. telling you, you could for, see. The, for the for the people who just saw him on a Saturday I think you really needed to see him on Monday through Friday and that's where that effort and the learning came in and I think it's going to pay off for him. Well, and that's a big part, even on the NFL level. You don't put the time and the effort in during the week, especially with limited practices. Not going to see the results come Sunday. He is Andrew Monaco, play-by-play voice for Texas A&M on the Aggie Sports Network. Andrew, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. Thanks, Andrew. Absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You got it. Andrew Monaco, once again, weighing in on Texas A&M prospects to look forward to in the upcoming 2019 NFL Draft. We are going to open up the phone lines throughout the course of the remainder of the program, give you an opportunity to weigh in on a variety of topics at 201-939-4513. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, I'm uh, sort of conflicted, and I wonder if you guys can help me out. Uh I'm leaning towards taking a quarterback with the sixth-round pick, and I know edge rushers are important. But I was looking at some of the teams uh, that led the league in sacks. I know the hurries and pressures are just as important. Teams that didn't make the playoffs but had a multitude of sacks, Arizona being one, they had 49. Uh, Washington had 46. Pittsburgh, uh, which didn't make the playoffs, had 52. So is there an overemphasis on taking a edge rusher, or do you really have to set the precedent with taking a quarterback if you're going to move forward, assuming this is a rebuilding year? And I'm still a big Haskins guy. I still think he's the right choice. But I was curious as to how your feelings were on this subject matter as to uh, whether the Giants' hierarchy is just as conflicted as maybe some of the Giants fans are. And I was wanted to get either of your opinions on that. Well, first of all, if you look at the years that the Giants won the Super Bowl, they had the sack numbers. So I don't know necessarily if what you read into from last season, and I'm not saying your numbers are off base, they're right on point, but I, I personally would not put a great deal of stock in those numbers for teams that may have been high up on the ladder with sacks and didn't make the playoffs because a few of the teams right. that you threw out, Scott, you have to take into consideration there were a lot of other factors why they oh, yeah. didn't I, make the playoffs. I agree. You know, I, 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 and, I didn't and, want to put it in a vacuum. No, no, and, and I'm, I'm not together. saying you were trying to do that. For example, l- let me bring up the Patriots, okay? The Patriots and the Giants finished tied with total amount of sacks. So people are saying right. to themselves, oh, wait a minute. Patriots went on and won the Super Bowl. The Giants didn't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Everybody always brings that stat up to me. So let's look a little bit closer. Look at New England's secondary, okay? (laughs) Look at how well those guys covered on the back end. So what they were lacking on the front end, they made up for it because they said, Stephon Gilmore, going to put you out on an island. And you know what? He came through. Devin McCourty, who's a very good all-around safety. That's why they invested him, gave him an extension. He also could take care of business. So that's how, to me, you balance out the sack numbers not being very effective. Now, you look at the Giants, you can make an argument with respect to the Giants, Scott. Not only did they not have the sack numbers, they certainly did not have the same level of production out of their secondary that New England showcased. So, Sure, but, but also by the same token, in the first portion of the year, they were blitzing a lot more, and I think they were keeping opponents under 20 points a game, which is actually very good in the second portion of the season. Uh, the defense didn't exist. So there was a change, obviously, from the number of... Uh, how Betcher was approaching the first part of the season as opposed to the second part of the season. I agree with you that the secondary becomes very, very important. 
So that was why I was querying you know, either of you on the question in regards to, this, you know, are there more important issues? But I think you have to lock down the quarterback if you're going to move forward. And that was really my, my main focus. And, again, uh, I don't want to over <coughs> excuse me overextend because I, I just was curious if they're going through the same machinations in the giant front office as to what they should do with that sixth-round pick. Well, I think that, once again, you bring up a good question because it's something worthy of having a conversation with, especially when we look at sack numbers, how important they are. But, once again, I look at if you're also drafting a pass rusher, Scott, you're right. confident that that guy's going to have the ability to stop the run and cut off the edge. When you think about what JPP did when he was here, you know, when you think right. about a Justin Tuck. So you can't just look at it as, well, if we use a sixth overall pick on a pass rusher, we're just asking him, line up, win your battle, and get a sack. No, he's adding a lot more to help your defense. And you can maybe dismiss the sack numbers. I'm not saying that you are in particular, but nobody could dismiss the run-stopping numbers, because when you can't stop the run, Scott, it impacts every other level of your defense. So if the Giants and any other team, I truly believe this, are they going to go out and they're going to draft that high with a pass rusher? They believe that guy's got enough versatility and talent that he's going to help out in multiple areas, and he's not just going to go out and get 14 and a half sacks. Multi-down player, not just a third-down situational sub. Bingo. Right. That's how you have to look at it when you take that high of a pick on a player like that. Okay. One last question. I'm going to get off the air. Sure. Um, there's a question. There's a player that uh, Sam Monson at Pro Football Focus is very high on a uh, right tackle. I haven't heard too much about him, and I was wondering if you had any uh, scouting on him, which was uh, a tackle from USC called Chuma Idoga. Uh, he was right up there with Jonah Williams and Dalton Reisner, who I think is one of the better uh, prospects coming out. And I was just curious if you knew anything about him in regards to whether he might be something selected, say, in a third-round pick or something like that. And, uh, thanks, guys, and I'll hear your answers off here. You got it, Scott. Thanks so much for the phone call. Appreciate you weighing in. Yeah, I did some work on, on Edoga. Uh, I, I, I had down athletic, balance, uh, arms, gets to the second level, all as good things and positives that I saw on tape. I did have questions about his power, his hand usage, and his ability to uh, block in the run game, uh, you know, to be very physical in the trenches and be forceful in the power run game. Uh, needed some work in that area. So, you know, he's not, in my opinion, a high-round pick. He's somebody you're looking at more in the middle rounds, uh, looking for depth purposes, developmental purposes. He's not an immediate plug-and-play starter in my book. Well, and Scott brought up Reisner, who to me is extremely Now, that's a different guy. Well, but here's why Reisner's appealing. Because Reisner, you can argue, could maybe play all five positions if you really wanted to push him. Reisner comes in and starts at right tackle week one. He's well, got that kind of potential. He does, but also if I suffer an injury on my line, Paul, I can move him over. That, that holds value, though, is yeah, what I'm saying. Well, that's fine, but what I'm saying is well, you I, could plug and play him right now. I don't doubt that. And, but, that's, and that's a very valuable uh, commodity that you, you could see being drafted high second round. I'd have no problem with him at 37. I'm in agreement with you, though. No <laughs> doubt. From a value standpoint, I, I think that holds up very nicely. Let's head back to the lines. we got Brian in North Carolina. Brian, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey. Hey, sh- thanks for uh, taking my call. Thanks for making you'd, it. you'd put me on right after Andrew since he was talking about Texas A&M. I want to talk about Wake Forest. You beat Texas A&M two years ago in the belt ball. But, uh, anyways, what I want to do is uh, – 
you know, I, I know it's a small sample size, but I want to talk about two games that I was there for. The first one was the Clemson-Wake Forest game where they beat us 63-3. to I mean, they, they just destroyed us. And I watched Colin Farrell firsthand. I was 50 feet away from that monster. Dude, and he, he is a monster. Yeah, it, 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 and honestly, anybody on that defensive line, if the Giants get them, great. Um, the uh, Honestly, with, with Clellan, I don't know if I would go with him at six, Paul, but uh, if he's still around at ten, I would definitely try to move up and get him. Um, but that's me. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, the other the other game that I was there for was the Duke game, and where Wake Forest beat them fifty nine to seven, and um, that and you know even though the Clemson game was the worst beating we've taken in history, that was the biggest margin of victory we ever had against Duke, and we and we did that at Duke, mm-hmm. and I watched Daniel Jones that that game just struggle. I mean, and Wake Forest is not known for their defense. I mean, obviously. And um, we, we're not putting anybody in the draft this year. I mean, we've got Greg Dorff going to the draft. Who is going to be, he's going to help some team. I, he's not a good fit for the Giants. But, um, you know, uh, I, I know I know you're going to say, Lance, it's too small of a sample size. But, you know, that is one heck of a sample to that game. I mean, we – he, he couldn't he couldn't get anything going on a on a defense that a lot of other teams put a lot of points on, and um, I, I don't know. I think Daniel Jones is just too much of a project. Um, you know, I, I like some of the, the intangibles there, but it's hard for me to unsee that game. So um, I, I'm not sure what you want to uh, how you want to take that, but. Um, I'm all ears. Well, I wasn't going to actually say that because there is enough of a sample size, Brian, I think, because it's not just the one game that you're evaluating against Wake Forest. And I think some of the things you picked up on are valid in terms of question marks, upside, you know, his decision-making at times under center. So personally, like I said, if you want to think about Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins in the first round, I think you make an argument for that. Anybody else, I don't know if I would push the envelope to grab a quarterback in the first round. That's just my personal opinion. Daniel Jones included, right. Will Greer, Drew Locke, all these guys. I think that if they fall to you in the second round, something to think about. I don't know if I'd be ultra-aggressive pursuing them in round one because I just don't think this group is providing as much substance and consistency as last year's group did. And I think you have to always compare because we're not that far removed from the 2018 class. If you want to compare it to the 2012 class, you know maybe that's too far removed. But 2018 class is just also learning the ropes of the NFL. I think it's a fair comparison. So I'm with you there with to, respect to, to Daniel. To Jones. clarify on your game, uh, that was in November. He was uh, that is Jones was 17 of 36 for 145 yards with a touchdown and an interception. Uh, understandably, after looking at those numbers, why you would not have been impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I look. I like a lot of things about Daniel Jones. I really do. But but there's no question. Uh, you do have to worry some about uh, the arm strength. Uh, it's okay, but not great. You do have to worry some about uh, some of the the accuracy issues at times. Some inconsistencies. There's no doubt about that either. Um, I think he's a legitimate uh, starter in the league. Now, how high? I don't think he's a first-round pick. I don't. You know, Mal, if you want to start thinking about him in the second round, I, I could understand it. But, you know, personally speaking, I don't know that I'd pick him at 37 either, to be honest, if I were the Giants, unless you just felt that, well, you know what? 
we still got to get a quarterback and wait until the end of the third round. Now it's getting a little sketchy. Again, you know, I'm not I'm not taking a quarterback in the first round. I've made that clear for months. I know Scott was asking before about about uh, weighing that Haskins. Versus a pass to me, there's yeah. nothing to weigh. There's no way in the world I'm taking a quarterback in the first round, especially at six. I I I'd rather go to the to the bargain bin and take the sleeper in Jared Stinham, uh, maybe in the in the bottom of the third round. To be perfectly frank with you, than than taking yeah. a, a reach on one of these other guys in the first. And appreciate the phone call, Brian. Yeah. We're going to let you go on that Thank note. You. Thanks so much for weighing in. We were talking about Edoga, the tackle out of USC, with the last call or so. Our producer, Dan Salamone, finding a transcript of some of the comments that he made at the Combine. He was asked, what teammate was the biggest influence on your career? I would have to say Chad Wheeler. We had some of the same circumstances in life. He went through a lot of hardships in his career, bounced back. Now he's having a really good career with the New York Giants. I look to him for inspiration. Then, it's a follow-up question. Have you talked to former USC lineman, gotten advice, brought up Chad Wheeler again? He said he talked to Zach Banner and Chad Wheeler. So they clearly have a very close relationship on that front, and he has stayed close to uh, current Giants right tackle. Just wanted to throw that out as a little tidbit. Before we get back to the lines, we have been taking requests, Paul. Yeah, there are two guys, I guess, we got on the uh, on the request on the Internet. But before you do that, I just want to set the appropriate tone for this segment. Don't look at me. John's responsible for this. So I was just told to play it. What anyway, is that? Go ahead. It's him having some free time on his hands. Too much, I would argue. But okay. go ahead. I'm all ears. Uh, yes. Someone had asked us about uh, wide receiver uh, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, who comes out of uh, Fresno State. Uh, redshirt senior, 6'1", 202 pounds. Uh, thoughts I had on him. I liked his routes. I thought he was very good at the 50-50 ball. And he's also good in blocking for the run downfield and on the edge. Those are nice traits. The things that are going to hurt him is that if the ball isn't thrown really nicely inside his box, even though he does well on 50-50 balls, uh, he does not have a very large box or a large radius to catch the ball. So you got to be real specific where you throw it to him. Not necessarily a great burst and also difficulties against press coverage. Uh, and you will see that in the NFL, especially if they know that you're having trouble against it. Yes, I think that's a problem. <laughs> They'll come after you with it. So, I believe so. Uh, but, but certainly a draftable player. Uh, the other guy who was mentioned was uh, Tranquil, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. I did do some work on him also. Drew Tranquil, uh, redshirt senior, 6'2", 233 pounds. The knock on him, and it goes all across the board. Now, first of all, he's had an ACL with his left knee and his right knee. I mean... That's incredible that he's been able to come back from, from two ACL issues. Uh, also a broken hand, also a sprained ankle. He's come back from a ton of injuries with the Irish. Uh, I see him as a weak side linebacker in a 4-3 scheme. I did like his motor. Thought he had some coverage skills, showed instincts. He's intense. He's one of those blue-collar guys, you know, who's going to be an overachiever because he's not going to be this superstar, you know, uh, athlete, Olympic athlete, not great in the underwear Olympics or any of that stuff, but he's a football player, a blood and guts guy. And again, my, my knock on him was simply just agility and athleticism. But he's a guy who's going to get after it, and he'll give you everything he's got. All right, with that being said, let's head back to the lines before we close up shop. Marco is in Connecticut. Marco, welcome aboard. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing all right, Hi. Marco. Uh, uh Paul, I may try to call you again and talk to you about Stidham. That's not why I called today, but I, I want to pick your brain a little bit about that. Um, 
the so here's my question about the uh, a scenario that I think that could break for the Giants at number six. I think the first five guys to go off the board um, are going to be Allen, the out of Kentucky, Quinn and Williams, Bosa, and I think Kyler Murray. But I don't think Kyler Murray. I don't think Arizona is going to pick him. I'm starting to lean that way, and I, that's a whole other story. I I I'm starting to think it's a smokescreen, but. And then I think at five, I think a team might want to jump ahead of the Giants thinking that the Giants are going to take a quarterback and they could go for Haskins or Locke. Now, if that doesn't happen, and maybe let's say Devin White goes to Tampa Bay or Montez Sweat, I want to know from you guys, at six, if if Montez Sweat or um, Ed Oliver or the tackle from Florida, Taylor, if those three guys are both there at six, what are your feelings on one of those three? Who would you choose? And I'm curious about this because everybody keeps talking about this Leonard Williams situation with the Jets, how he dropped. So uh, Bosa, Quinnen Williams, and uh, uh, Josh Allen, if one of those guys is there at six, do they automatically trump anybody else for you at six that you would take? Uh, what do you guys think about that? Bosa, Williams, or who? Bosa, Williams, Allen, or Josh right? Allen. Or Allen. Allen. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, I think we all believe those guys are gone in the top five. Does anybody not think so? I mean, if Nick Bosa's there when you're at well, six, I mean, what, what is the conversation at that point, Marco? But, Just but, run but, up the but, card. But the, the, the team, yeah. team thought Leonard Williams was the best player in the draft, and he dropped to the Jets. Yeah. Well, to answer your question, if Nick Bosa's there, I'm not talking about anything. I've made my pick. Yeah. If Quinnen Williams is there, I also, in my mind, have made my pick. I agree. Same okay. thing with Josh Allen. That's I how I would okay. order them to answer your question. I would be okay. really, really, really ecstatic if one of those three guys got to six because there is no question. you got to run to okay. the podium. If those three guys are not there, who's your choice out of Taylor from Florida, the offensive lineman, Montez Sweat, or Ed Oliver? Ed Oliver, to me, is intriguing. I know people are going to say, well, he's a defensive tackle. I think you can maybe move him around a little bit. I think there's the potential there. So that would be the initial guy that I would lean towards. You know, Sweat, I think there's some question marks surrounding him. I could live with Sweat. But if you ask me, I would go Oliver, Sweat, Taylor. That would be my order of those three. And I'd probably go Sweat, Oliver, Taylor. You know, Taylor had more consideration from me earlier on, and as we're getting closer to the draft, I'm kind of stepping back from him a little bit because I really found out at the Combine, and then I I did work up on 21 offensive tackles in my film study, and I think you are going to get a plug-and-play offensive tackle at 37. So I don't think you have to take Jawan Taylor. Now, I will give you a little asterisk here. If the Giants believe, that Jawan Taylor is an absolute bona fide decade blue chip starter, potential Pro Bowl guy. If they think he's that phenomenal, I would not complain if they took him at six. Well, and once again, okay. this is a different year's draft, and I'll let you continue, Marco, but I'm going to go back to track record. When Gettleman was with the Panthers, he never took an offensive lineman in the first round. He took Will Hernandez high in the second round. I would agree with your logic and your rationale, Paul, that if they do want to address the offensive line, I don't think it's a stretch to say, hey, use the second-round pick on that. We'll let you continue, Marco. Sure, sure. Thanks, Lance. Um, I guess just to follow up, Lance said, like, if he took sweat at six, he could live with it. And, Paul, you made the 
you made the case for the other two guys as well, especially Taylor. I love Cleland Farrell there. I told you that before, and I, you know, but that's me. I, I don't think they're going to see it that way, but I certainly would. Okay, and I, I, and I, and I could have put him in that scenario. So I'm guessing if I put him in my scenario, you would take Farrell over the other three guys I mentioned. I'm a big Cleland Farrell guy, yes, but that's me. Okay. That's me. So, so here, the, the the logic I'm looking for then, last year. Gettleman said for number two, which is four picks away, and I understand that's big, but at number two pick, the guy he wants to take is got to be like he's looking for a Hall of Fame. Hall of Famer, yeah, the gold two. jacket. Gold jacket, and 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 now we're picking four picks later, and I understand there's five other teams in front of you, but if he's going to come out and pick someone, I want to hear them at, at the press conference immediately say, we a hundred percent feel this guy is. A, B, and C, and what I mean by that is, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want it to be a situation where it's like, hey, we had our hearts set on this guy who, who we felt was a Hall of Fame player. However, the next best on our row was this guy. No, no, and, here, and Marco, I, Marco, I'm going to make this really simple for you. The guy at two had to be fitted for a gold jacket, or you had to believe he's fitted for a gold jacket. At number six, you have to believe he's a plug-and-play starter. You have to believe he is a star-caliber player who can be good to probably. I uh, know Pro Bowl is not a great, uh, not a great oh, uh, rationale, uh, but he's got to be. He's got to be that caliber of player who you can foresee giving a second contract to. And if you have any question marks on the guy at six, you can't take him. You have to be assertive and confident that he is a star-caliber two-contract starter. That's how you have to feel. Otherwise, you don't take him. 100%. All right, guys. Thank All you. right, Marco. Appreciate it. Thanks Thank so much you. for weighing Thank in. You. My answer is there's got to be conviction in the room. That's the term that and I always Dave turn Gettleman to. And Dave Gettleman believes in conviction. Yeah. You know, it's not a matter of does the press conference sell the player no. as this and that. No. It's the bottom line is when they went around the room, everybody was in agreement, this is the guy – this guy has the most upside, has the most potential, and he's going to be an impactful player. If he gets the check marks across the board with respect to that criteria, then it's the right decision based on what was discussed in the room. Nobody has a crystal ball. You never know how things are going to pan Simply out. put, the further down you go, and six is way too high to start thinking about question marks, the further down you go, then you start giving a little leeway and say, okay, this guy has this little thing wrong with him. We're not quite sure about that. Mm, this kind of makes me a little no no at six oh yeah it's pound your fist on the table we like that guy we not will like that guy we love, love that him. guy yeah. we're taking him you pound it's a pound of fist on the table at number six 100 okay you're not you're not hemming and hawing and there's enough substance in this year's draft to say that 10 guys of exactly. more than quality exactly. can deliver when it's all said and done. Want to remind you, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. All right, that is going to wrap up Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern as we'll continue to preview prospects, so stay tuned for that. LSU and uh, Ole Miss. There you go. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.